Have you ever found yourself wondering about the role that Canadians played in old-time radio? Well, wonder no more. During the next 60 minutes, we'll delve into the careers of actors, writers, and directors who went abroad to find work, as well as those who stayed right here in Canada. Join me as together we explore Canadians in old-time radio. there, I'm Devin Wilkins, founder and president of CATRA, and I want to welcome you to another edition of Canadians and Old Time Radio. You know, you can always check out our website. It's www.cotra.ca. I think you might find some interesting things there. For our Made in Canada segment, we have uh, an episode of Wayne and Schuster, <clears throat> pardon me, and it's from January 8th, 1953. Thursday night and Christie's, bakers of fine biscuits for 100 years, present Wayne and Schuster. Christie's, makers of the famous premium crackers and the sensational new 4-in-1 inner seal pack present the Wayne and Schuster Show with lovely Terry Dale. Every Christmas, Samuel Hersenhorn and his orchestra, yours truly Herb May, and starring Christie's Men of the Half Hour, Johnny Wayne and Frank Schuster. Thank you, Bonzo. <laughs> And good evening, friends, and leftovers from John and Judy. <laughs> this is Johnny Wayne welcoming you to our second show in 1953. We have a wonderful audience in the studio tonight. We have some of the sales staff of Christie's. And right in the front row, we have an entire wedding party. There are the bridesmaids. There's the best man. There's the groom. There's the bride. And her father's here, too. <laughs> How do you like that? A white shotgun for weddings. That's clever, yes. Anyway, welcome, and... Uh, good evening, Mr. Wayne. Oh, Frank, she used to say you look very handsome tonight. Oh, no, I'm not. Oh, yes, you are. Oh, no, I'm not. Oh, yes, you are. Oh, no, I'm not. <laughs> I hate a quitter, don't you? <laughs> well, Frank, what's new? Well, Johnny, I've been reading a very interesting book. It's called Great Canadians. Great Canadians. Yeah, and it's all about our country's greatest men. Uh-huh. You know, the explorers, the scientists, the doctors... And I've been wondering, maybe I could have made my mark in some other profession. Maybe I shouldn't have been a comedian. Why, Frank, how can you say that? You shouldn't have been a comedian. Why, why you're a natural. You've got, uh... Mm, you've got, um... And you've got, um... Hey, maybe you're right. I hate a quitter, don't you? Look, Frank, what have you got against being a comedian? Oh, I don't know. It's not dignified. What? I, I'm always playing the fool. You know, I've never even told my mother what I do. No kidding. If she ever found out I was a comedian, it would break her heart. Really? Yeah, she thinks I'm selling stolen cars in Windsor. <laughs> so what would you rather have been? 
Well, I don't know. They're all... Isn't that great? Yeah, that's... What would you rather have been? That's pretty neat. Yes, yes. But I don't... For a comedian, that's very grammatical. Yes, it is. <laughs> I don't know. You know, John, there are all sorts of jobs. There are. Yeah, some people work with their heads. Some people work with their hands. Yeah, and then there's mounted policemen. Yeah. <laughs> Serious, John. You know, oh, you're serious, John? Well, yes, I'm fun loving Frank. Oh, glad to know you. <laughs> now, serious, right? You know, there's something. I'm sorry I wasn't a doctor. What? I said, I'm sorry I wasn't a doctor. Don't be silly. Look at all the lives you saved. <laughs> I don't know. Look, I could have had a job with my uncle the butcher. Oh, your uncle the butcher? Yeah, he started off with a little store, and today he's known as Schuster the Sausage King. <laughs> Schuster the Sausage King? That's right. His sausages were different. You know the way others are tied on the end with a string? Yeah. Well, he doesn't use any string. He just lets them hang down with the bottom open. <laughs> you must have seen them. Schuster's sloppy salamis. <laughs> oh, sure, I've seen them. He doesn't wrap them up. They're handled by butchers everywhere. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, Johnny, if you had your life to live over again, would you stay in show business? Of course I would, Frank. My people have always been in show business. My grandfather was one of the top magicians in the country. He was known as the Great Wayne. What an act he had. Oh, was it good? Well, you know, most magicians saw a lady in half. Uh-huh. He had a switch. He used to come out on stage and glue two midgets together. <laughs> and then there was my sister. She, she was shot from a cannon. Shot from a cannon? She worked in a circus? No, in a puffed rice factory. <laughs> and as for me, well, ever since I was a child, it was my ambition to be a clown. Be a clown? That's one of our favorite songs. Well, introduce me and I'll start it off. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, here's Johnny Wayne stepping into the spotlight. Here's Johnny Wayne crawling out of the spotlight. Never mind. All right. I'll remember forever when I was but three, Mama, who was clever, remarking to me, Son, when you're grown up and want everything nice, I've got your future sewn up if you'll take my advice. Hey! Be a clown. Be a clown. All the world loves a clown. Show them tricks, show them tricks, tell them jokes, tell them jokes, and you'll always stop with top folks. Dress in huge, baggy pants, and you'll ride the road to romance. A butcher or a plumber, ladies, never embrace. A barber for a bow would be a social disgrace. They all will come to call if you can fall on your face. To be a clown, be a clown, be a clown. Chorus. Let's sing it in tune, shall we'll we? Be a clown, be a clown. All the world loves a clown. Be a crazy buffoon, and the lovely ladies will swoon. Be a crack, jack and ape, and they'll imitate you like apes. If you're a struggling artist, you're an unimportant guy. If you're a struggling scientist, you barely will get by. But brother, how they'll pay to hear you say that you die. Be a clown, be a clown, be a clown. you heard me. Now here she is, our singing gal, Miss Terry Dale.
you can take Here is a heart for you only That you can keep or break How else can I tell you What more can I do Why don't you Terry Dale. Nice singing, Terry. Thanks, Johnny. By the way, I'm throwing a party after the show. I'd like you to attend. A party? Yes, it'll be quite an affair. There'll be soft lights, sweet music, champagne, paper hats, noisemakers, and lots of fun. Mmm, sounds great. Who's going to be there? Just you and me. <laughs> I'm sorry, Johnny. I'm sorry. I'm busy. How do you like that? Well, I know why she turned me down. It isn't her. It's her family. They've always come between us. Darn her husband and those four children. Say, <laughs> John. Oh, yes, Frank. Look, I've been looking at the ads in the paper showing the new 1953 automobile. Oh, yeah, they're beautiful, aren't they? Oh, they sure are. The, the, the new features in these cars are really amazing. New features, eh? Oh, wonderful. You should see some of the accessories. You know, one car I saw had sterling silver ashtrays and uh, mink hubcaps, <laughs> a barbecue pit in the back seat, <laughs> and a set of bumper wipers. Bumper wipers? You mean windshield wipers? No, I mean bumper wipers. You push a button and it scrapes off the pedestrians. Gad, what'll Oshawa think of next? That's, that's nothing, John. That's the way I felt about it. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I mean you should see some of these cars. I saw one 1953 model. It was amazing. It had a telephone in it. Now, Frank, that's not new. Lots of cars have a telephone in them. With an operator? <laughs> what you mean. There's one company that gives you a house trailer attached to every car you buy. A house trailer? What for? Well, it gives you a place to live while you're looking for a place to park. <laughs> well, Frank, that's progress for you. Things are moving ahead. You know, there's one company that's working on a car that's really revolutionary. Uh-huh. doesn't use gasoline. It's an electric automobile. An electric automobile? How does it work? Very simple. You just plug it in and it runs. Of course, there's one slight drawback. What's that? You need an awfully long cord. <laughs> And in Toronto, it has to be 25 cycles. Oh, I know, yeah. yeah. Seriously, John? Are you seriously, John? Yeah, I'm seriously, John. <laughs> okay. After, after looking at these models, I, I kind of got the bug for a new car. You know, we ought to get one. Yeah, but Frank, our old car is still good. I know, but I'd prefer one of these new rakish 53 models. Really? Yeah, I want to see something with a long nose, a heavy body, and a big rear bumper. Hi, right, fellas. <laughs> Here's one now. Yeah. <laughs> That's Herb May. Oh, yes. That rumble seat fooled me. Yeah. Yeah. Hi, Herb. Look, Frank is trying to talk me into getting one of these new cars. Well, it's about time. That thing you're driving is pretty dilapidated. Dilapidated indeed. Yeah. You're talking about a 1923 moon. <laughs> yeah, we used to have an Oakland, but the window blinds wore out. <laughs> 
What a car. What's wrong with our car? Well, it looks like a garbage can with headlights. <laughs> what? Everybody laughs at it. Look, May, it happens to be a popular car. Why, every day it's filled up. With people? No, with garbage. Frank! <laughs> no, car, that's a good car, although I'll admit it is a little old. A little old? Don't you remember last Sunday? My grandmother is 90 years old, and she passed you on the highway. Well, so what? She was walking. <laughs> yeah, but she was wearing her low heels. You know, Johnny Herb's right. Everybody laughs at our car. We've got to get a new one. Well, okay. Let's go down to the showrooms and take a look at the new car. Ah, swell, John. But I'm going to miss that old moon. Ah, she still looks nice with that foxtail hanging on the rear bumper. Yes, sir. See, uh, I always meant to ask you, John. Yeah? The foxtail should be hanging from the radiator. Why is it hanging from the rear bumper? Well, why not? That's where the fox wears it. <laughs> Come on, Frank. Let's go and get a new car, okay. eh? Hey, look, John, there it is. The showroom of the new 1953 Bushwhacker Special. Yep. Well, let's go in. Okay, eh? fine. Oh, hey, look at the crowd standing around that model. Yeah. Hey, look at that chassis. What lines? What a paint job, eh, John? Yeah, she's a cute kid, but where are the cars? <laughs> oh, well, they're right over here. Oh, oh here comes the salesman. Well, uh, what can I do for you, gentlemen? Gentlemen? <laughs> it's a buyer's market. Yes, sir. Ah, <laughs> uh, we're... Uh, sir, we're interested in getting a new car. I see. Well, what would you prefer, the Super Deluxe model or something in the lower-priced field? No, we're Wayne and Schuster. Oh, why didn't you say so? Bob skates next door. Ah, <laughs> uh, look, we want the finest car you have, and we'd like a demonstration. Oh, uh, certainly. I'll call our sales manager. Oh, Madam Humperdinck. Madam Humperdinck. This is I. <laughs> oh, no, Madam Humperdinck, you are the sales manager here? Yes, indeedy do. And if you'll follow me, I'll take you for a little spin in one of our cars. Wait a minute. You're, you're going to take us for a spin? Uh, are you a careful driver? Oh, I have to be careful. I have no license. What? <laughs> oh, you won't regret this as long as you live. And driving with me, that won't be long. Uh, wait a minute. Madam Humperdinck, I think... Ah, uh, here we are. All right, gentlemen. Let's get into the car. Come on. Oh, all right. Now, that's fine. Oh, just a minute. Somebody stole the steering wheel. You're sitting in the back seat. Of course. <laughs> now, uh, here we are. There. Well, I, I'll start the motor. Listen to this, gentlemen. Hey, what was that? That's real horsepower. <laughs> well, here we go, out into the street. Ah, isn't this car a dream? And look how well it handles. Well, let's go down the new street. I'm tired of running down the same old faces. Oh, no. Well, I'll make a left turn here. Now, I'll just stick out my hand. <laughs> oh, silly me. I forgot I washed the windows. Hey, Johnny, what are you looking for? Parachutes. I'm going to bail out. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. She's not driving that badly. She's only doing 20 miles an hour. I know, but on the sidewalk. <laughs> Homepity. Look, please, watch the traffic. Oh, I can't. It makes me nervous. Oh, no. Oh, tell me the truth, Madam Homperding. Have you ever, uh, have you knocked over many pedestrians? Oh, I don't want to boast. I've had my share of good luck. Oh, what? <coughs> oh! Ah, that was a fat one. 
Hey, Johnny, this is awful. I... Johnny, Johnny, where are you? Let me out. I'm in the glove compartment. <laughs> oh, no. Madam Humperdinck, just stop here and let us off. Oh, don't be silly. I haven't demonstrated the brakes yet. The brakes? You can stop on a dime. Madam Humperdinck, don't try any fast stops in the traffic. My dear boy, we're on the outskirts of Toronto, and there's very little traffic here. Now, watch this stop. Here we go. <laughs> Madam Hoverink, we're walking home. All the way from Montreal? Oh, no. Well, friends, nearly all the automobile companies have introduced their new 1953 models to the public. As a salute to the automotive industry, Wayne and Schuster prepared a radio history of the motor car from its earliest beginnings to the present day. We present this thrilling documentary called... The History of the Automobile, or The March of Payments on Time. This is the history of the automobile, the romantic story of the motor car. Tonight we will trace the fascinating chapters in the romance of the automobile back to the very beginnings. The word automobile comes from the old Greek phrase, autos mobiles, meaning Get away from that cocktail lounge. You're parked in front of a loading zone. (laughs) To find the real beginnings of the automobile, let us go back to prehistoric times when cavemen roamed the earth, the dawn of civilization. The time, 2 million B.C., the dawn of civilization. The scene, a cave. In it sit our two favorite cavemen, Ugwain and Mug Schuster. Here they are. Do the tango, do the tango. Do to really get the feeling of romance. You've got to do the tango. Do the tango. Do the tango. Do the tango. Olay. Olay. All right. Say, Uh, What is it, Mug? Say, what time is it? Uh, it's the dawn of civilization. Oh. Daylight or standard? Don't bother me with silly questions. I'm occupied. Uh, what are you doing? Well, I've been a busy little prehistoric man. I've just invented something that will revolutionize civilization. Uh, you're kidding. I'm in deadly earnest. I've invented a new type of vehicle. I take four wheels, mm-hmm. put a seat on top, and I ride around in it. I call it an automobile. <laughs> Uh, an automobile? Yeah, I've been riding around all day in it. I've been having a lot of fun with my automobile. Hey, that's a pretty good invention, but uh, where do you get all your gas? Huh? I said, where do you get all your gas? Well, it's my own fault. I eat too fast. <laughs> so much for prehistoric days. As the centuries passed, man continued his search for new and better ways of transportation. Man learned to domesticate animals and harness them. All types of animals. Horses, camels, oxen, burros. Uh, excuse me, John. Yes, Frank? Uh, what's a burro? Burro, B-U-R-R-O. It's a kind of a jackass. Oh, a jackass? Well, what does one look like? 
Frank, you mean to stand there and look me in the face and say you've never seen a jackass? How come I never noticed that till now? <laughs> and Johnny, who, who first thought of using animals as a means of transportation? Oh, the early farmers. The farmers hitched up all kinds of animals, animals like these. I'm a horse. I pull plenty of farmers. I'm an ox. I pull plenty of farmers. I'm a mule. I pull plenty of farmers. I'm a cow. A cow. Do you pull plenty of farmers? No, with me, it's the other way around. <laughs> the years... <laughs> the years continued to roll by, and new chapters were written in the romance of transportation. Yes, new things were invented to make traveling more interesting. The coach, improved roads, the farmer's daughter, and then... <laughs> In the beginning of the 19th century, the West opened up with, and with the West came the stagecoach. We present a thrilling scene from the history of transportation. The first stagecoach ride through Indian country. It is dusk along the Navajo Trail. The desolate silence is suddenly broken by a new sound, the sound of rumbling wheels. And into view comes the stagecoach. Inside this coach sit the presidents of the newly formed Wells Fargo Stagecoach Company. It's Johnny Wells and Frank Fargo. Uh, say, Wells. What is it, Fargo? How come you got the good name? Never mind. <laughs> Never mind. I tell you, Fargo, this is a great day. This here stagecoach of ours is a step forward in transportation. Sure is, partner. I'm plumb glad we got rid of that old stagecoach. Didn't have no wheels. Didn't have no wheels? What held it up? Bandits. <laughs> hey, hey, that was a little old joke. Yeah, but that little and that old... <laughs> Well, so far, so good. We've been riding through the Indian country, and so far, not a sign of them pesky redskins. Well, I only hope our luck hey, is going... Hey, hey, hold on, Wells. Look up ahead. Galloping coyotes, it's the Indians. The Indians, where's my gun? I've got to get out of here. Oh, hold it, hold it, partner. Put away that gun. You don't need it. What are you talking about? Them Indians are coming right at us. Don't worry. We're as safe as can be. <laughs> Look at them coming. Jumping prairie dogs, the minions are running away. They look scared to death. <laughs> That's right. I got something up in front of that stagecoach that would frighten anybody. No kidding. What do you got? <laughs> Woman driver. Thank you, Herb May. Now back to our history of the automobile. Chapter two, the automobile arrives, or... Look, in the air. Is it a bird? No. Is it an airplane? No. Well, what is it? It's a pedestrian. It wasn't until the 20th century that the automobile, or horseless carriage, as it was known, made its first appearance on the streets. Well, gee, John, I guess that was an exciting day. Well, for most people, it was the dawn of a new era. But for my uncle, the automobile meant the beginning of the end. How come? He was a horse thief. Oh. <laughs> anyway, who will ever forget that scene when the first car was unveiled by its inventor, Henry Ford? The time, the beginning of the century. The place, Greenfield, Michigan. 
Surrounded by an admiring crowd, brilliant young Henry Ford shows them his first model. Gentlemen, gentlemen, here before your very eyes is the first automobile. I've devoted most of my life to perfecting it. Hey, Henry, get a horse! Now, <laughs> uh, now, 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 neighbors. You can laugh if you want to, but this is a great moment. This is the first automobile. Say, Henry. Yes, Charlie. How much do you want for that there automobile? Uh, I'm sorry, it's already been sold. Already been sold? Who bought it? A used car dealer. What? Yes, those were the beginnings, and quickly inventors began to perfect this new amazing contrivance. Great inventors whose names can be found in the Automotive Hall of Fame. Men after whom cars have been named. Men like these. I'm Henry Ford. They named a car after him. I'm Walter Kreiser. They named a car after him. I'm Henry Kaiser. They named a car after him. I'm an old schmo. An old Schmo, did they name a car after you? Why, certainly, the old Schmobile. Oh, no. Each year... <laughs> Each year brought new exciting innovations in automobiles. From Europe came inventors to add their knowledge. Frank, are we a European guest? Yes, John, tonight standing at our microphone, we have Austria's greatest automotive expert, author of that great book, How to Teach a Woman to Drive which was responsible for the success of his next book, What to Do Until the Doctor Comes. <laughs> Here he is, Professor Johann von Wayne. How was you there, Schnucky? <laughs> so you are an automotive expert? My dear Knabe, you're looking at the greatest automotive expert in the world. Why, the women drivers of Vienna have voted me the man they would most like to put the clutch on. <laughs> Well, I understand you invented a great European automobile. You're right. It's a great automobile. Well, what's it called? Well, in Vienna, it was known as the Schnuckeldorfer Aufgeblüten Ingedieten Schnitzelbank and Blimegietel Super 6. <laughs> well, I see. Well, what's it called in English? Jeep. <laughs> that's a good one, eh, Schnucky? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Crazy man. Yeah, that's cool. Cool, yeah, cool. Yes. Well... Well, tell me, Professor. Yeah? Uh, what is your latest invention? I'm glad you asked. At last, I can reveal to the world my latest discovery. It's a windshield. A windshield? A windshield. Oh, windshield. Windshield, windshield yeah. yeah. A wonderful windshield. It's completely shatterproof, shockproof, and brakeproof. You can hit it with a hammer. You can jump on it. You can beat it with an axe, but you can't break it. Well, that's amazing, Professor. That windshield will revolutionize the entire industry. Yes, it will, but first I must straighten out one little thing. Well, what's that? You can't see through it. <laughs> Goodbye, Snooky. So ends our history of the automobile, but is it really ended? No. Man's search for better things never ends. Tonight, I'd like you to meet a man who represents the search for better things. This man dedicated his life to a great search and came up with one of the greatest discoveries in the history of the automobile. Will you tell us your success story? It's very simple. I found it. At last, I found it. I found it. You found what? All my life, I've worked with automobiles, and I dedicated my life to finding it. My friends laughed at me. They said I'd never find it, but I kept plugging away. For years, I searched until yesterday. I found it. <laughs> Do you hear? I found it. Well, well, quick, tell us. What did you find? A parking space downtown. <laughs> The crisp little crackers perfectly flavored with the best Canadian cheese. Cheese Ricks, another fine product made by Christie. Try them too. Join us again next Thursday night. And every Thursday night, when Christie's making the fine biscuits for one hundred years, present Wayne and Schuster. This is the Transcribe Network, the Transcanada Network of the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. For free tickets to attend the Wayne and Schuster show, write to Wayne and Schuster, care of station CBL, Toronto.
for our Canadians Abroad segment, I want to play the audition show of the series The Marriage, starring Jessica Tandy and Hume Cronin. And Hume Cronin was born in London, Ontario. It's called How They Met and Married. And it's from October 24th, 1952. National Broadcasting Company takes pleasure in presenting a new series starring Jessica Tandy and Hume Cronin as Anne and James Wallace in The Marriage. When you look ahead, marriage promises to be a cavalcade of historic events. But when you look back on it, you sometimes find that the apparently uneventful has become the unforgettable. Any way you look at it, marriage remains the most popular domestic arrangement among friendly people. And that brings us to our story of Anne and James. I don't know about this business of love at first sight. When I was introduced to Anne, I only thought that she was a nice girl with attractive eyes. And I said, how do you do? And... I looked around the room for something with a little more yump. I was very young. I left her at her door that night with a feeling of respect for her intelligence, which means, of course, that she'd listen prettily while I went over the fine points in the case of the state of New York versus Hutchins, Hogan, and Prosnick, which I was working on at the time. Very interesting case, too. Well, anyway, I walked to the subway and I forgot all about her. No one was more surprised than I when I called her in the morning and asked her for a date. And on that rainy night three weeks later in the hallway of her apartment house, if anybody had told me that I was going to ask her to marry me, well, I would have said he was crazy. Good night, James. Good night, Anne. Good night, James. Good night, Anne. Oh, good night, James. Good night, Anne. You'd better go now, James. This time you'd really better. Why? You worried about old what's-her-name, landlady? Mrs. Grady? Well, she's awake. That's her radio. Well, what of it? A girl who lives alone has to be careful of her reputation. <laughs> How's your reputation? James, stop that. With Mother coming to town tomorrow, I don't want Mrs. Grady giving her a lot of ideas. Well, she can't do that. A slander and defamation of character. Oh, I love that perfume. Don't ever use any other kind. Oh, it's easy for you. You don't live here. I do. And you're not a single girl. I am. I defy Mrs. Grady. Mrs. Grady, I defy... Shh, James, please. Sorry, sorry. Let's say goodnight now. I mean, really. I'm so wet. Well, look, come on. Stand over here. There. Oh. Comfortable? Oh, how I hate apartment houses. When we get married, let's get a house. I don't care how small or how far away. I beg but... your pardon? What? What did you just say? Uh, hate apartments like houses. You mentioned marriage. Oh, of course, married first. You can't just ignore conventions. James, dear, a girl likes to be asked. Oh, but I took it for granted that you... Well, that's just it. Oh, well, then I better ask you. That would be nice. I don't think I'm going to be very good at this. Try. Well, here goes. Dear Anne, 
caught as I am between Mrs. Grady inside and the rain outside. No, 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 no. no that's, uh, forget about that. That's not right. Well, it did sound a little as though you were trapped. Anne. Anne, darling, if this was somewhere where it isn't, if the sun was shining and the birds sang instead of Mrs. Grady's radio, <laughs> and I had my arm around you and, and we were alone, I'd kiss you and then I'd kiss you again. I tell you that I love the color of your hair and the way you laughed and how gentle and wise you are. Does this sound as though I were taking inventory? Go on. And then when I'd found the courage and the right words, I'd just come out and say it. What would you say? And please marry me. Well? You mean it's my turn? You only have to say yes. Is that all? Well, I suppose you could say no. I'd rather you didn't. Doesn't it matter whether I love you? Oh, yes, of course. We'd better establish that first, because... James, will you kiss me? Well, don't be silly. And now, good night, darling. Oh, I hope I have my key. But you, you can't do that. Can't a girl sleep on it? It's very late, and besides, I have to meet Mother early in the morning. And now I asked you. You have to answer. You, you can't just turn me off like a faucet. I've got to know where I stand. In a puddle, darling. Oh, no. You know what I mean. James, Mother arrives tomorrow. I want you to meet her. But I'm proposing you know, to you. It's, it's going to seem a little strange to her, my knowing you such a short time. And Well, she never approved of my coming to New York to begin with. And if Father had been alive, he would have forbidden it. Why? Well, after all, in, in Fitchburg, Massachusetts, New York is considered rather a dangerous place to send one's daughter all by herself, especially to study art. Mother's hardly reconciled to that. And now... Anne, if, if she doesn't like me, would that make a difference to you? Of course it wouldn't make any difference to me. Thank you, darling. Of course, it is possible that uh, she could resist me. Why do you insist that Mama will dislike you? Well, it's just the circumstances. You pointed them out yourself. You know what I mean. Are you sure there isn't something sinister about you that an inexperienced girl wouldn't notice, but that a mother would? Not at all. As a matter of fact, middle-aged <laughs> middle-aged ladies usually like me very much. Oh, don't brag. Uh, not bragging. I only try to reassure you. Anne, dear, I want to marry you more than anything else in the world. Now, do you or do you not feel the same way about me? Must I answer yes or no, counselor? Yeah, no, no, of course not. Dear James, dear impulsive man, I don't know you at all, really. But you will. No, I'm don't but... interrupt. I don't know you at all. But even now, here in this shabby hallway with, with Mrs. Grady listening and, and the rain running off my collar and down my neck, I think I love you very, very much. Will that do? Yes, Anne. Yes, that, that's terribly nice to know. I, I, I may burst with happiness. I don't know what it was. This talk of marriage three weeks after meeting James was something I didn't expect. And yet, looking back, I think I had a feeling about him the moment we met at the party. James pretended to be so sophisticated and devil may care. Well, I just wanted to mother him. 
I don't know exactly when I stopped feeling simply maternal and, and got a, a, a younger feeling when I, when I started loving him. Well, I met the train from Fitchburg and told Mother I was thinking of marrying Jane. Oh, dear. Her face got set the way it had when I told her I was going to New York. Poor Mama. I knew that she was going to be hard on James. Even so, I couldn't wait to exhibit him. My James. But as that wouldn't be possible until the evening, I introduced her to my next most prized possession. My apartment. Doesn't this wallpaper make you terribly depressed? I'd have the blues from morning to night. No, I've been very happy with this wallpaper. I've been happy with everything for three weeks. Yes, I know. You're going to love him, Mama. I can't wait until tonight. Oh, Look at the time. I'd better put these dishes away. I just can't help wishing he was something besides a lawyer. What's wrong with lawyers? Well, lawyers always smoke cigars and wear dark gray suits. James smokes a pipe. And I've never seen him in a dark gray suit. Can't be much of a lawyer. And even if he is, they don't make good husbands. Now, Mama, is that a fair thing to say? Well, you can't tell me that a man can spend the day fooling around with loopholes and tricky language and then come home and give his wife a straight answer. No. <laughs> oh, Mama. You'll ask him why he's late for dinner and he'll wherefore and whereas you till he's blue in the face. Mama, stop it. You haven't even met him yet. And I'd like to hear what your father would have said about your marrying a strange lawyer whom you've known for only three weeks who claims to have a family up in Canada that nobody's ever seen. Mother, you're being ridiculous. Ridiculous, am I? You're ready to give away your life to a man you've known only three weeks. Twenty-one days. Well, it is an awfully short time, I admit. For all you know, he may have a wife and children somewhere. <laughs> all right, go on, laugh at me. But learning to live with another person is the most difficult thing in the world. Even with a man you've known for years, let alone three weeks. I know, Mama. Your father was a wonderful man in all the big ways, but there were little things about him that nearly drove me out of my mind. Just little things, but I had to live with them. For instance, well, he... Oh, it sounds silly, but he used to put ketchup on his eggs. <laughs> I never told him, but if there's anything that takes away my appetite, it's eggs with catsup on them. <laughs> it happened every morning of my married life, and I could never eat breakfast until lunchtime, and it wasn't funny. Oh, I'm sorry, Mama. It's, oh, it's things like that that make marriage unbearable when you find them out too late. Well, it didn't make your marriage unbearable, did it? You've always said father was a devoted husband. Yes, but I might have found a devoted husband who wasn't devoted to ketchup on his eggs. <laughs> but, Mama... Oh, this man might have habits that would make you miserable. You... You'll be married a long time, dear. And a long time with the wrong man is... Well, it's a long time. Yes. Yes, it is. Mama, I'm going to be sensible about it. Yes, I'm going to find out a lot more about Jane. You know something, Mama? What, dear? I must have been more worried about this than I thought, because suddenly I, I feel relieved. When I left Anne that night after proposing, I couldn't wait to get home and tell Tony. I was walking on air. Well for two blocks, anyway. Then the elation suddenly evaporated in the cold night air, and the events of the hallway became unreal, and I was alone with the disconcerting fact that I'd asked a girl to be my wife. 
I got butterflies in the stomach. Big apprehensive ones with wildly flapping wings. Why hadn't I kept my big mouth shut? At least until I considered the consequences. I was scared stiff. I, I, I crept into bed, trying not to wake Tony, but, well, sleep was impossible. What did you say? Oh, you awake, Tony? Awake? You know, Junior, when I agreed to share this one-room paradise with you, I didn't bargain for your nightmare. Teasing you anyway. Tony, I feel terrible. Hey, wait, I'll turn on the light. Why don't you take a bicarb or a couple of aspirin? Wish it were that easy. Tony, this is serious. I asked Anne to marry me. And then what'd she say? I don't want to get married. I- I'm not ready. Easy, Junior. We all have to go sometime. What got into me? Why did I ask her? I can't get married now and take on all that responsibility. I must have been out now, of my... Now, let's not get excited. How am I going to get out of it? It'll break her heart. Then I take it she said yes. No, not yet. I'm sure she's going to. And then what am I going to do? Marry her. What? You're the guy who always said that when a man becomes a husband, he stops being an individual. Oh, I say a lot of things. I'm very clever. You remember that night on the subway when you picked out the married men by the way they looked? Depressed, harried, shabby. (laughs) We were real wise guys, weren't we? Tony, you're not helping me. I thought I could count on you, but sure. I said and I still say, if a man marries the wrong girl, it's the end of him as an individual. Okay. That's what I said you said. But if he marries the right girl, it may be just the beginning. Sometimes it works out. Some of my best friends are married. My mother and father, for instance. (laughs) Didn't you tell me your parents were happy? Yes, but my father was the type who needs to get married to be happy. What type are you, Junior? Tony, I'm not what I seem. You know, conventional, conscientious, disciplined. Underneath, uh, in me, anyway, there's a streak of primitive wild. Oh, no. (laughs) Tony, this is very serious. Honestly, I don't think I'm the type to be satisfied with a domestic life. Why not? Even Tarzan had a mate. Oh, stop kidding me, will you? I'm sorry I ever started this. Don't be sorry. Maybe you're right. Could be you're a born bachelor and that's it. Then I'm back where I started. And what am I going to do about Anne? I kill her when I tell her I've changed my mind. I don't think it will. Tony, she's crazy about me. Maybe. But she's a good-looking girl. She won't be heartbroken for long. Oh, Anne's not a coquette, Tony. When that girl gives her heart, she gives it for keeps. Maybe, but don't worry about it. One of those handsome models she meets in art school might find a way to make her forget. Oh, no. Not Anne. No, she's not impressed with muscle. Okay. So she'll meet some brilliant artist. She'll have more in common with an artist than a lawyer anyway. Oh, I don't know. Some artists are practically inarticulate. Mm. I won't argue the point, Counselor. I'm going back to sleep. Try it yourself. No. Never be happy with an artist. Go to sleep. Too level-headed. Good night, Jim. Good night. Tony. Yes, Junior? What now? Tony, if we get married before your vacation, will you be my best man? Mama, please 
promise me you'll be nice to James when he gets here. Of course I'll be nice to him. Why shouldn't I be? I know, but, but don't be too polite. Well, now, maybe I'd better not meet him at all. Oh, Mother. Of course, I warn you that I mean to find out something about any man who wants to marry my daughter. Well, naturally, Mama, but please be discreet. He needn't think that because you have no father, he can pull the wool over people's eyes. He's not trying to pull the wool over anything. Don't tell me about lawyers, dear. After all, everybody knows that a lot... Oh, there he is. Now, please, Mama, please keep an open mind. I'm sure you'll find James charming. Go on and let the man in. I can tell by the gleam in your eye, but... All right, I'll let him in. No, no, I'll get it. And... And your slip showing. Oh. Anne, darling. Hello, James. How could I ever have doubted? James. James, no, not now. I mean, I mean there's Mother. Mother? Oh, of course, your mother. How, how is she? Very well, thank you. Mother, this is James. James, this is Mother. How do you do, Mr. Wallace? How do you do, Mrs. Caldwell? Can't tell you what a pleasure it is to meet you at last. I've looked forward to this for such a long time. Three weeks. Well, Anne has told me so much about you, I feel I know you. Yes, yes, that, that, that's very nice. Uh, Anne, dear, could I see you in the other room for just a moment? No, Mother. Yes, uh, please excuse us, Mr. Wallace. It's just a little family matter. Oh, that's quite all right. Mama, did you have to do that? Close the door. What is it, Mama? You never told me he was so short. Oh, Mama. You can't trust short men. They always have chips on their shoulders. Five feet seven is not really short, and besides, a man's height has got nothing to do with anything. Your Uncle Jonathan, who ran away with the elephant girl, I'm not was... staying around another second. Are you coming out there with me, or shall I go alone? Your Uncle Jonathan was only I'm five opening feet... the door, Mama. I'm just trying to take the place of your father, that's all. Well, that little morsel of feminine business is over with. Sorry, Jane. Oh, that's perfectly all right. You know how women are, Mr. Wallace. Oh, of course. Are there um, many women in your family? Well, not in my immediate family. I have no sisters. Oh, then you don't know how women are. Well, I guess I don't. I was just wondering because you said you did. Would anyone care for such a thing? I'd love one. What about you, Mother? Not just now, thanks, dear. I believe I'll join you, James. Oh, good. Just a little milk. Thank you. Perhaps Mr. Wallace would care for something a little stronger, dear. Oh, no, this is fine. Oh, come now, Mr. Wallace. Wouldn't you rather have whiskey? You don't have to stand on ceremony with me. Really, Mrs. Caldwell, I rarely... James doesn't drink whiskey, Mother. But I may start any minute. (laughs) James, have one of these cookies. I I think you'll like them. Oh, they look delicious. Thank you. Well, Mrs. Caldwell, is this your first trip to New York? Oh, my, no. I think New York is just a bit too noisy for Mother's taste. She's a farm girl at heart. Well, I can appreciate that. When I was a boy, I used to spend my summers on a farm in Saskatchewan. Stayed with my aunt. Never forget those days. Something wonderful about a farm, isn't there, Mrs. Caldwell? All there is to a farm is a lot of hard work. Yes, of course, but the kind of work that keeps you young and strong. It killed my mother at the age of 58. (laughs) And, uh... Could I possibly have another cup of tea? Oh, certainly. Uh, Mother, are you sure you don't care for anything? No, 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 thank you, Dip. Uh, Mr. Wallace, how is it that How you're... about a cookie, Mother? They're very good. Uh, no, thank you, Dip. Uh, Mr. Wallace, I understand... Would you like me to make you a sandwich? I have some cheese. I'm not hungry, dear. Uh, Mr. Wallace... Excuse uh, me, Mrs. Caldwell, but why don't you just try calling me James? I will, Mr. Wallace. Just as soon as it feels comfortable for me to do so. Oh, yes. 
You didn't know that I had such an old-fashioned mother, did you, James? Well, you know what they say, old-fashioned things are the best things. Really? I never heard anyone say that. No? Oh, I thought it was quite a well-known saying. I've heard it often. I believe I've read it, too. I can't remember just where. Uh, Anne, could I have some more tea? Certainly. I was, um, I was about to ask, Mr. Wallace, what brought you to New York? Well, I came here on a visit while I was at law school. Harvard, incidentally, Mother. Oh, that's nice. Yes. I, I came down on a visit, and I just fell in love with this city. I was fascinated by the idea of living in the midst of so many millions of people. I don't know whether that makes any sense. I know what you mean. It's a perfect city to hide in. James wasn't... <laughs> James wasn't looking for a place to hide in. Oh, I wasn't suggesting that he was looking for a place to hide. I was just making an observation. Um, tell me, Mr. Wallace, I, um, I hear that New York is overloaded with lawyers. Can a young man really make a living here? Well, uh, I think By living, you... I mean eight to twelve thousand a year? Well, I tell you, Mrs. Cole, Mother, it's not... I hate to interrupt this interesting conversation, but we've run out of tea. Yes, well, all right, go ahead, dear, and make some more. Mr. Wallace and I have lots to talk about. Yeah. Uh, that's the point. I, I need him in the kitchen to open a jar of olives. Well, I don't like olives, thank you. They're for James. He loves olives. Will you excuse me, please, Mrs. Caldwell? Oh, certainly. Andy, we need more hot water. Hot water? I'm in it up to my hairline. Oh, James, I've never been so embarrassed in my life. How do you feel? So I just lost two falls out of three. I'm terribly, terribly sorry. I had no idea she'd act this way. She'd only stop calling me Mr. Wallace. She's never been like this before. She's really very sweet. I'm sure she must be. She's terribly worried because we've only known each other three weeks. You must try to understand. Believe me, I'm trying. But have you any idea what it feels like to sit there and be taken apart? Now, don't make it worse than it is, James. Have you any idea what it feels like to be questioned? You just questioned... asked that question. Well, this is a nerve-wracking experience. James, are you sure you aren't dramatizing just a little bit? I never dramatize anything. Well, never mind. It's perfectly normal to dramatize. I don't care whether it's normal. I don't do it. Oh, you have a temper. And I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't know that about you. I wouldn't say that I had an abnormal temper. Perhaps not. Still, you have a temper. And how long have you had this habit of repeating things? You see how little we know each other. You see? I'm sorry, Anne. I guess I'm upset. Anne, when are you going to answer my question? Will you marry me? Oh, James. Mother was right. There are so many things that people must know about each other if they are to have a happy marriage. That isn't true. If they love each other, they can work everything out. That isn't realistic. What about the little things? What little things? Children? No, no. <laughs> Suppose you're grumpy in the morning or, or don't like canaries or something. Do you like canaries? No, I don't. You see? There you are. Why? Do you like canaries? Of course not. But suppose I did. <laughs> Just suppose I were mad about canaries and you couldn't stand them. We'd be miserable, don't you see? Anne. Anne. Come here. No, 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 James. This is very important. This is something we must stop and be very cool-headed about. Tomorrow evening, you and I are going to sit down and find out all the things about each other that we haven't discussed. Agreed? Oh, Anne, why do Agreed. we have to go through... Oh, all right. Agreed. <laughs> Now, James, we must have an objective and logical conversation. Is that understood? 
Yes, Miss Caldwell. You're being facetious. No, Miss Caldwell. Just good-natured. James, if something that's important to me is just a joke to you, then there's something seriously wrong between us. All right, dear. Actually, I think it's important, too. Oh, I hope you do. I, I really hope so. Now, I've made a list of things, and if you think of anything else, just ask. Right. You comfortable in that chair, darling? Please, James, there will be no affection. Sorry. By the way, where's your mother? She's out shopping. Hmm. More likely a police headquarters, seeing if I have a record. James, you're being frivolous. No, darling, simply apprehensive. Now, let's look at the situation dispassionately. I'm sure we agree on everything. Well, I feel it. That's what we're here to find out. Now, one, do you sleep with a window open? Well? Do you? You must tell me. Oh, I always have the window open. You do? Well, always. How about you? I can't sleep if there's a draft. You can't? No. Well, after all, what's a little thing like a window? We can no, always close... No, no, James. No, don't make light of it. It's an important difference between us. I suppose so. It's vital to find out these things now. Now, let's go on. That's probably the only point on which we disagree. Two. Are you untidy in the home? I mean, do you drop things all over the place, or do you like to be neat at all times? Oh. I suppose I've got to be honest. You must. At home, I'm a pig. Oh, dear. But I could change so easily. Oh, no. It's easy to say so. But we can't change our personality. And we can compromise. Compromises never work. Now, do you like modern furniture or periods? Well, that's easy. Period, of course. Just looking at that modern stuff makes me uncomfortable. Oh, James! What a narrow-minded attitude to take. We must go forward. Move with the time. Forward? I've sat on stumps that had more grace. Oh, no. No, no. I'm sorry, but a person who prefers archaic period furniture to the clean lines of the future must be old-fashioned and and stuffy. Oh, now, listen to us. It's no use pretending. We don't agree on anything. We'd never get along. It'd be ketchup and eggs on a bigger scale. What was that? Ketchup and eggs. Oh, I like ketchup and eggs. <laughs> you see, we'd, we'd irritate each other to death. And, and don't say we could change. We, we couldn't be happy. We'd be uncomfortable. You know it. Oh, I don't know. None of those things strikes me as critical. By the way, don't you like ketchup with eggs? No, I don't. No. You see how irritating it would be to face such differences when, when there's no escape? All right, Anne. You win. Let's just call it off. <laughs> Perhaps you're right. If you are, we're lucky we found out about the differences in time. We've been very sensible. We certainly have. You know, Anne, you're a very bright girl. Very pretty one, too. <laughs> Actually, what we've done is unusually intelligent. Yes, it is. I felt is. very depressed about it at first, but... Oh, I love that perfume. But now that it's over, well, it's a great relief. Yes, I, I know what you mean. It, it was something that had to be done. You're right, darling. Absolutely right. No matter how pink. Yes, and Anne. Anne, now that we've done it. What? Can I have an answer? Will you marry me? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yes, yes. <laughs> And so the marriage took place. And we moved into a modern house. With some 18th century furniture. And closed bedroom windows. Good night, James. Good night, darling.
This was the first episode of The Marriage, a new radio series starring Jessica Tandy and Hume Cronin as Anne and James Wallace. Anne's mother was played by Muriel Bremner. Tony was played by Charles Flynn. Music was conducted by Joseph Galicchio and composed by Emil Soderstrom. The Marriage was directed by Milton Merlin and presented by the National Broadcasting Company. See you next time. Bye for now. If you've enjoyed the shows you've heard during the past hour, be sure to tune in again next week, same time, same station, when once again, we'll listen to programs that are remembered today thanks to the involvement of Canadians in old-time radio. This is Devin Wilkins speaking.